to anime dine-in, the beginning and end of your free time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Anime Dine-In Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and for today's episode, I bring to you another part of our Skipping the Line series, a special series of episodes where I collaborate with Berger from the Geeks in the City podcast, and in this series, we are interviewing some of the top voice acting talent in the business. Today's guest is featuring Sean Chiplock, a voice actor known for his role as Ravali in Zelda Breath of the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, share, and review on all of the podcast platforms as that will help episodes like these reach a wider audience and look out for more episodes like these coming soon. And as always, Anime Dine-In is made possible by my great friend and social media manager Lamar, as well as you, the fans of anime. Thanks. Hello, everybody. I am Berger from Geeks in the City, and I am joined by Jeremy from the Anime Dining Podcast. Hey, everybody. And today we have the privilege to speak to uh, one of my favorite new voice actors in the world right now. Uh, you may have heard this person in many of titles, okay? He's in God School, okay? He's in Hero Mass. He's in Iron Blood Orphans, okay? He was in Saint Saya. Even Octopath Traveler, Zenkai Zero, Danganronpa, Secret of Mana, all the titles go on and on. Fire Emblem, Fairy Fencer F. But you may know him if you're a big JRPG buff like me from Trials of Cold Steel. Or you may know him for his more famous foe as Ravali from the Breath of the Wild. That's right. We have Natsuki Subaru himself here. Pewter from AI the Samian Files. Sean Chitlock. My Sean. goodness, dude. Like, talk about a ringside introduction, man. It's like, you got your Subaru, your Green Swords, your Ravali and Teva from Breath of the Wild. That was insane. Did you say <laughs> you go by Burger? Uh, yeah, that's, that's actually my name. Why would you do that at the start of the interview? Because now I'm starving. It's been like, what, a week and a half of quarantine, and I haven't had In-N-Out in that period of time? Oh, man. I'm, I'm dying for a good burger, man. Hey, man, I'm going to give you all the meat you can take, hopefully. It is ah. Saturday afternoon, man. That's what these <laughs> days were made for. Yeah, yeah. So uh, first things first, what we always got to ask, uh, how are you? Uh, you know, physically... I could probably stand to work out a bit more. I mean, I haven't gained weight, but that's mostly because I forget to eat a lot. Mentally, I'm doing pretty okay. You know, the isolation sucks uh, because literally everything is closed. The beaches, the parks, the hiking trails, a lot of businesses. Uh, but it works in my favor because I've always been a little bit more of an introvert. Like, when Etrian Odyssey came out... I would play that game nonstop, and I'm talking six plus hours in a row with maybe breaks for bathroom or food if the mood struck me. So I was already used to, quote unquote, having nothing to do except video games for extended periods of time. So when Animal Crossing came out literally the same evening that we had a statewide stay at home order, I was just like, okay, now I can just do this without feeling guilty about it. <laughs> nice that's awesome um so you know along with you know playing video games and all that you know uh is there anything that's currently uh in your queue that you're watching right now or any other games that you're playing 
queue in terms of watching, not really. Uh, well, okay, that's a lie. I would like to get around <laughs> to seeing Beastars, and I just saw that Netflix announced Brand New Animal. Um, I've been kind of indirectly watching My Hero Academia because of my wife and her best friend. Uh, what's the other one? There's one other one that I'm... Oh, uh, uh, I really need to get around to watching Mr. Osamatsu. Um, I was introduced to it like a year or a couple years ago from a friend who was crazy about it, and I didn't realize that it had gotten a dub. Um, and I, I saw a couple clips of it, and it is just that that type of humor is so good for me. The back and forth uh, banter and insults and stuff like that. It, it's just right up my alley. And it was the first time I'd seen a comedy anime that I really enjoyed since uh, Daily Lives of High School Boys and stuff like Cromartie High School. So I want to see the entire series of that. Gaming-wise, gaming-wise, obviously, I'm super addicted to Animal Crossing right now. Um, that uh, gave a backseat to Mystery Dungeon DX, which I just finished the story mode like a day before Animal Crossing came out. And that's ahead of finishing up Dragon Quest XI, because I believe in Dragon Quest XI, I am at, like, the 97th percent of the way through the game. Like, I just have a couple of the final trials to do and then the true final boss, and I think we're done. Um, so those three are, are basically one right after the other whenever Animal Crossing slows down, which may not be for a while at this rate. However, what I'm hoping doesn't get further delayed because of the virus is the thing that was supposed to come out, uh, I think this summer, the Crystal Chronicles remake for Switch. Oh, um, yeah. That was, Crystal Chronicles and Legend of Mana were like a huge part of my co-op childhood. I would play Legend of Mana every time I went over to uh, my friend Jonathan's house. Um, and, you know, with the fact that they've been remaking all the Mana games, they already had Secret of Mana HD, now they just had the Trials of Mana demo come out. I'm really hoping that they'll, they'll uh, remaster Legend of Mana, and even more so, like... This is one of those, oh my god, you know, my career was made for this moment. If I could get auditions for the Legend of Mana remake, it would make my entire life. It would be just a, a, a circle of life moment. Um, but getting back on topic, Crystal Chronicles, oh man, the number of times I've played through that game, the number of times I would sing the opening theme song to that game on the bus going to school, I... I have every intention of just playing the crap out of it online and helping out other people with their missions. I, I know it was supposed to come out in February, and then when it got delayed, my heart shattered. But now it was for the best, because otherwise I'd have to compete with Animal Crossing. But I am very much looking forward to that. Oh, that's, that's great, awesome. man. Yeah, you definitely, uh, definitely more so uh, I'm getting the vibe of a hardcore gamer than a, wa some, than a watcher. More like a hardcore Nintendo gamer, based on all the titles yeah. I laid out. Yeah. But... A lot of that is because a lot of games that were on PlayStation are coming to Switch. Like, Trails of Cold Steel 2 and 3, you know, came to either PC or Trails of Cold Steel 3 is now coming to Switch. So, the Switch just has a lot of options, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I, man, look, I, I'm going to save all the uh, the Trails of Cold Steel things more towards the end. But I, I'm, sure, I'm, sure. I'm all, I've always got to ask this um, <clears throat> for everybody, but... Um, being that you know you're a voice actor and it's really crazy because well, I think we're all around the same age group and things like that and you're like an inspiration to you know voice actors and people that's like I want to pursue this as a career. What was the defining moment for you? Uh, no matter when you was a child, when you was in college, school, whatever, that made you decide that you wanted to be a voice actor. I know I said this story a couple times, but I'll just let you know. Uh, for me, um, basically when I was a kid, I used to really like the Pokemon series. And I used to watch right. them all the time. And uh, there was a little convention at the public library that was next to me. And my mother took me to them. And I remember when she took me there, basically, 
we went in, we sat at the conventions, and it was like I think the voice actor for James, and uh, it was so cool that we got to meet the actors and all that. Uh-huh. And, and literally, we met the actors, and all I remember is them coming up, and she was like, "My son, oh, he's always pretending he's singing the songs." And I was like, "Be quiet, mom." <laughs> I'm trying to be cool. And, That's what I do now when my mom introduces me to famous voice actors. Yeah, and I was, <laughs> and all, and literally, I remember what he said. He was like, "That's because he wants to be a voice actor when he gets older." And that thought sat with me until like I was, you know, until my adulthood. Until I was like, you know what, I do want to do that. And that was my right. defining moment for me. What was the defining moment for you in your life? You know. I- it's there's no really one defining moment because to give context like when people ask what's your favorite role that you've done or what role has meant the most to you my answer to that is well i try to find something about every single role that i take home with me that's important you know whether it's a new milestone or something i knew i was going to do well and i knocked it out of the park so that's kind of like how i stay humble and like appreciate all the work that i do instead of being like oh you know i don't care for iron blood orphans but this other role you know something like that um and it, I kind of take the same approach regarding my career where there were lots of there were lots of elements in the development of my career that played very important roles. And I don't think any single one of them made or broke my decision to get into this craft, but they did help cement my love of the craft. Uh, the reason being because I, I'm very much a self-driven individual. It is very hard for me to get interested in something artificially that I'm not already uh, authentically interested in. But if there is something that I really want to do, there is very little that will get in my way of making it happen. A big example being a couple days ago, literally a couple days ago, I ended up having a talk about wanting to get back into uh, into streaming because I had talked about wanting to stream for several years, but I let time and space kind of just the fear uh, get in the way of me doing something. Mm. And uh, like I think on Thursday or something, I was like, okay, the time is no longer an excuse because I have all the time in the world and I'm going to talk to people about the space. And as of today, I might actually have all the stuff that I need to start streaming tonight. So that was a very, very quick turnaround. So how that relates to voiceover is, you know, at the very beginning, it turned out that I was doing stuff related to voiceover before I even understood what voiceover was. My younger brother and I would play games like Bomberman 64, The Second Attack. Uh, my friend John and I would play games like Final Fantasy 12 together. And we would take turns doing voices for the characters that had dialogue in the games back in an era where not every scene was voiced, or especially during the Nintendo 64 era, it may not have had voices at all except for basic sound effects. And I'm, I'm serious when I say that even though my brother and I were doing voices for these characters and we were obviously watching cartoons, at that age it hadn't hit me yet. I didn't understand that this was exactly what people were doing in the cartoons in games that did have voice acting, that they were creating voices or, or performing as the characters and that's what we were hearing. But I was already doing it. Um, so that was like one of those realizations that hit me. You know, obviously there was the uh, initial interest, the discovery. Uh, the story that I tell is, uh, because it's true, is that I ended up visiting the Adult Swim website one evening, uh, really late in the evening when I was doing my dailies for Neopets. I came across a behind-the-scenes video of Troy Baker performing as Abel Night Road, and that's when I made that connection of, oh, there's actual people giving voices to these characters. I don't know what this is, but I want to be a part of it. This seems like something I could have fun with. And then there were other elements, like when I did the Bang Zoom AX Idol competition for voice acting in 2009, 
you know, I already knew that I wanted to be in voiceover, but that moment I had on stage where they played back the scene that I had just finished dubbing live on stage and the entire audience broke into applause unprompted that went on for a solid like 15, 20 seconds before the judges were able to get a word in that that validation was just so immense. That was one of those milestone moments of you can do this, but more importantly, you can do this in a way that the important people, the audience responds positively to, because if the audience wasn't interested in voiceover, it wouldn't exist in the first place. Um, uh, another example that comes to mind, a more personal one, uh, back in college, there was a time that I helped someone out with their senior project, and that involved, that was my first time stepping into what we would call a recording booth. It was very basic. It was the mic on a stand. You had the four soundproof uh, 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 sheets. I'm trying to think what they are. Um, what, the standees, like the little pop-up standees right, uh, that right, had right. acoustic mm -hmm. foam on them. And it was my first time standing in a booth setting and recording. And I remember leaving that and going, this is so cool. This is everything I hoped it would be. I want to do this more often. So just as I keep moving the goalposts of my career milestones of like roles I want to do or types of projects I want to be on or clients I want to work with, I always look for those new parts where I can stick a flag down in my career and go, this is a moment that was really important to me. This is a moment that was really important to the growth of my career. Um, so there's never just one defining moment. I think as I continue to grow, as I continue to learn more and expand my network, there will always be new moments that I can learn from or take to heart and bring with me to remind myself why I enjoy this industry so much. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that's incredible. Um, <laughs> There's your five minute answer to your five second question. Yeah, it, it, no, it's no, awesome. No, it's see, awesome. Yo, you, that, that was a pretty in depth answer, and like that, I think was awesome. But I do want to pick out one tiny thing that you said in sure. that answer, and then I have a separate follow up question. So, sure. what are your Neopets doing right now? They are starving. We all are right now. <laughs> I, I think I still know I think I still know the login to my account. Um, the problem is from what I understand just between flash not being supported anymore and how many times the company was bought out. I know at one point they were owned by like Verizon or Spectrum or something like that. And they were really going hard on the, the pay to play aspect, like the Neo cash aspect. Yeah. And just the market has changed so much that I wouldn't be able, apparently the point of earning points in that game is not through actually playing the games it's through playing the stock market and like buying or finding hot ticket items and selling them for billions and billions so as much as i would like to go back uh i'm definitely a heavy investment type of person yeah. i don't i don't usually switch between three or four different hobbies in a single span of time it's usually here's the one thing that i'm massively addicted to right now and that's how it's going to be until i move on to something else the big example being that's how i was with etrian odyssey until i'm forgetting what game came out uh after etrian odyssey that i wanted to do it, it, there or it was some other game that i had to make sure i finished before etrian odyssey came out so that i could focus on that and that's what animal crossing is right now that's what crystal chronicles will be when that comes out um I forget what the original, <laughs> oh, what Neopets. So yeah. I don't think I would have the kind of free time and and interest to dedicate to Neopets in any meaningful way. Uh, and that's why I haven't gone back to it. Yeah, I kind of lightweight feel like we all feel the same way there. I had a Neopets account like way back, like 
maybe 10 or more years ago and i have no clue what that login is or what right. they're doing now or anything <laughs> right i um, mean it's it's a great problem to have like from january 21st of this year to march 10th they, that entire span of time, there was not a single day that I didn't have some sort of voiceover booked work to do. I don't mean auditions. I mean booked work, whether it was a studio gig or a podcast or an interview, just a constant string of work. So I had very little free time for any gaming besides personal stuff like Dragon Quest Eleven. But I consider that a great problem to have. So I, I'm not going to really complain about not having a ton of time for stuff like Neopets, if that's yeah. the reason why. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so my my other question was one thing you mentioned when you were talking earlier. Um, you talked about how you and your brother used to play uh, Nintendo, you know, way back in the day, and when you would like voice over some of those uh, of those characters from the games you were playing. So that kind of struck me uh, a little personally. It, in a good way, because that just kind of took me back uh, to kind of like a similar situation where, you know, my brother and I would play Nintendo 64 um, like constantly, except instead of voicing over characters, we would typically just fight over whose turn it was next. Yeah, um, <laughs> we would play like, uh, you know, the Zelda Ocarina of Time, Donkey Kong Country, Pokemon Stadium. Um, so I was just curious, you know what you I mean, you mentioned Bomberman, but what were some of uh, the other games you kept in rotation? Uh the one I kept going back to was Paper Mario. You know, I, I actually had an emotional moment a couple of years ago where I played Paper Mario on the Wii Shop uh, or off the Wii Shop. And I this time I 100% completed it. You know, I, I finished absolutely everything. I filled out the recipe book. I took it to a point where I said I can set this controller down and just keep this game as a fond memory because I've done everything there is to do. Uh, around that same time, I also went back and played Thousand Year Door, which I... I appreciate the game as as an experience. I feel like I didn't get as much out of Thousand Year Door um, personally as I did versus stuff like uh, the original Paper Mario, but I can completely understand why as a self-contained game, it was an experience. It was, you know, there's those games that, like, there's not much to do once you've beaten them, but once you do beat them, you put it down and you go that was a game you know that was that was an experience that i paid for and i really enjoyed that and i think that's why a lot of people look back fondly on thousand year door even if i didn't see it as like some mind-blowing you know life-changing experience um other games that uh, were in the rotation obviously i was very much a nintendo child Link's awakening got played several times Mega Man 6 got played at least a solid 30, 35 times. And that was before I realized that it had the same boss weakness system that all the other games did. I just always used the Mega Buster for whatever reason, even <laughs> though I had the system on the anniversary collection with all the other games. I don't know. Couldn't give you a, a solid reason. Um, when I, is this, this specifically in childhood or just throughout my life? Um, yeah, I mean, I was asking, you know, just specifically, you know, in childhood, but you know, if there's, you know, other ones you want to, no, 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 there's plenty, there's plenty of examples in childhood In childhood. Like I said, Crystal Chronicles, Legend of Mana, those were really big ones. Jade Cocoon 2 is a diamond in the rock. Oh, yeah, I seem man. to really, well, hold on. You, you say, ah, but no, I mean, ah, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Like, do I you love it. the second game or the first one? Love the first one. All right. See, that's why I bring it up is because everyone I talk to about Jay Cocoon talks about the first game in the series, which apparently was more of a, a turn-based action RPG, whereas the second game was more of a collect-a-thon Pokemon-style strategy game. And because uh, apparently a lot of people who loved Jade Cocoon 1 hated Jade Cocoon 2 because of how radical a change it was. They're like, this is not what the first game was about. 
Um, but because I'd never experienced Jade Cocoon 1, I really enjoyed the Pokemon aspects of Jade Cocoon 2. Every time that I played Jade Cocoon 2, I would sit down in front of my, my computer or my laptop, and I would spend a solid eight hours just drafting my planned final team, how I was going to get there, what order of moves and like sub abilities I was going to teach the monsters. I think I spent, <laughs> I probably spent more time planning on the laptop than I did actually playing the game um, when it would come to the first week of play. And, and I always enjoyed like by the end of the game, just having this nigh invulnerable team that covered pretty much every weakness, or if a monster had a weakness, someone else on the team was immune to that and had a way to help them recover. And it was just really cool. That That's what kind of cemented my love of uh, what I call stage one endgame planning, uh, which I would use all the time with Etrian Odyssey. And that's if I have access to, here's what every class eventually learns, here's what skills they might choose to focus in, um, I will I will sit down and I'll be like, okay, what is the team that I plan to, to have fighting the post-game areas, the final boss? What is the team that I want to see come to fruition by the time everyone is maxed out and has all these points to spend? And that's how I'll start building from square one. So what often happens is my starting team isn't, they struggle a lot in the early game areas just because no one has any real synergy. They're not using any of the super overpowered early game skills because they're focusing on building up the passives and stuff like that. But then around mid to mid late game, that's when everything starts coming together and you hit that milestone point where the synergy kicks in and they start destroying everything in front of them um, because they are over prepared for that point in the game. Um, and they weren't focused on early game skills that did great for weaker monsters. But now, you know, that that curve off or that drop off in terms of utility Um so Jay Cocoon 2 really helped instill that love of strategizing and team uh, team planning in me. And that carried on to pretty much any game that uses that sort of system, uh, specifically Etrian Odyssey, but other games as well. Okay, cool. So yeah. I, I, I noticed, I noticed, and it's like, it's really awesome because it's like, wow, all my gamer, like all these thoughts I've had as a gamer that I've kept to myself is all being brung to life. And I don't even have to say it. Um, you talked about that uh, that having that moment, you know, what what Paper Mario meant for you, and it it just being a moment and things like that. Um, obviously, Entering Odyssey was another game. You just spoke about Jay Cocoon. Uh, what what's another game that you know you feel like this was a moment? Because for me, I have a couple of like if I had to think, go off of five. Uh, Bait and Kaitos for the GameCube. That was probably mm, my I've heard first. A lot of great things about Bait and Kaitos. That was my first ever JRPG game experience that I was able to sit down and complete from beginning to end. I remember my father, I, I, it was crazy because I went to the store and I wanted uh, Tales of Symphonia and I was pointing at that. And right. the dude was like, yeah, so that. And I was like, oh. And my <laughs> father was like, well, this, this kind of looks like it. And I'm like, eh, whatever. One, of, I, one of the more recent ones, and when I say recent, I mean within the last 10 years, um, when I, when I worked briefly at NIS America as a QA tester, working as a QA tester is what introduced me to the Vita because, uh, at the time that was right around when, uh, Sony was saying, you know, we're about to stop making the original Vita with like the, the sharp contrast LED. Um, and we're going to switch over to the OLED, which was kind of like the fuzzy colors that the 3DS uses. But I really liked the sharp colors, like black was black and white was white. It wasn't off-white or gray because of the fuzziness. So when I learned 
sense that they were discontinuing the the original LED Vitas. That made me go out and buy one before they stopped selling them. Um, and so that introduced me through games I tested to stuff like Demon Gaze, to Operation Babel, Operation Abyss, uh, to games like Criminal Girls. And Demon Gaze in particular is is what we're touching on here in terms of moments. Demon Gaze was... It wasn't a bare bones first person dungeon crawler, but it was it was easier than most. I, I introduce it to people as if you want to get into dungeon crawlers or first person dungeon crawlers, Demon Gaze is a good one to go with because it doesn't throw too many mechanics at you, but it throws enough that you can feel that sense of progress as you go through the game. And the first Demon Gaze was just fun. It, it wasn't mind blowing, but it was just fun. And it had a great soundtrack based off of Vocaloid. Um, it was easy enough to understand the classes. It was easy enough to understand the synergy that you wanted to use. And uh, if Demon Gaze 1 was just a solid experience, Demon Gaze 2 was that kind of game where it was like, whoa, this is way longer than I anticipated. The main story of Demon Gaze 2 wasn't as, as long as the first game was, but the post-game of Demon Gaze 2 was like, it, it was like, 60 to 75 percent of the game like just the sheer amount of missions and content you could do there were there were two separate occasions while i was playing demon gaze 2 where i went okay this has to be the the final thing this has to be the last mission that i'm doing this has to be the the true final boss whatever it is and it wasn't there was more after it and and it, and it got to that point where when I actually had beaten the final boss, the true challenge, whatever it was, and there wasn't anything beyond that, I put it down and I was like, that wasn't a, that was an experience. Like that was a game. I got my money's worth out of that. So that was definitely that was definitely one of those cases where I'm very glad I got to play it because I don't think I haven't had that that emotional response to a game of damn, there was a lot to do. Um <laughs> And 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 I don't mean in you know sure Dra- Dragon Quest Eleven has a lot to do but it kind of you know that you're doing a lot and you know when you're approaching the end you know Demon Gaze done. two yeah. Demon Gaze two gave me that moment of I thought I was done and then I wasn't and it was just constant layers of cake that I didn't know I was gonna get <laughs> served so that when I was finally done it was like I have nothing to complain about this was a really long game and it surprised me in several ways and I had fun throughout all of it that's great that's awesome um. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. Uh, so still staying on the video game side of things, and I promise people we will talk about anime at some point, but um, I read that you're a competitive Smash player? Uh, I am. I wouldn't say I'm I'm a active competitive Smash player, mainly because I was super active back when Smash 4 and Smash Ultimate first came out. You know, I live in the SoCal area. A lot of the world's top players happen to live here, ironically enough, okay. or coincidentally enough. So, uh, you know, I got my, my poop kicked in a whole lot just by playing in locals, and it forced me to become better. I do believe I'm still currently the number one Mega Man on the West Coast. Maybe, like, top five United States, Scat, uh, Peepnut, a lot of other people in the U.S. are way better because they're way more active than I am. Um, but I'm still active on Smash Wi-Fi. You know, I'm still, I, I still have a lot of muscle memory with the character. Uh, actually, if I manage to find time for it tonight, uh, if I'm able to get the stream going, I do want to try and dedicate some time to playing on Smash Wi-Fi now that I'm able to stream, and I'd like to show people how good I can be on stream. <laughs> nice. So hopefully that's something we'll get to explore tonight. Okay. Cool, um, cool, so, cool. So what, uh, okay, so you said like you're kind of like your top one of the top Mega Man players. Uh, what made you decide that Mega Man was your go-to or was your main? It was just, 
you know, it, it kind of fell into place because back during Brawl, I mained Lucas. Uh, and when I say main, I was like, I just enjoyed playing as Lucas, but I yeah. wasn't really any good with him. When Mega Man was announced for Smash 4, I went, I don't care if this character is trash tier. I'm going to play him until he seems like he's good. Like, I just knew I wanted to play as Mega I've always been a huge fan of Mega Man, whether it was Legends, whether it was Battle Network. That was just one of those you are so dedicated to the character that you're going to become good with the character because they're who you want to spend all your time with. I didn't have yeah. that same attachment with Lucas. Right. Um, but it turns out, and I've heard this repeated by a lot of Smash players, you can't play Mega Man like you play pretty much any of the rest of the roster because with the rest of the roster it's about hit confirms you know into into short combos and understanding what characters can do after they get initial hits Mega Man is about avoiding attacks while hitting people with attacks and I know that seems very basic to describe you're like yeah that's the point of Smash Brothers <laughs> is to hit people without getting hit but it's like a lot of what I do as Mega Man is keeping my distance and throwing stuff out. And it's not necessarily that I'm hoping the opponent gets hit by it, but I'm hoping that in having to dodge so much stuff that they end up putting themselves into positions where I can punish them. So Mega Man, to me, is not a combo character. He's a setup and punish and reaction character. And I can't do that. You know, if I switch to someone like Ganondorf, I'm, it doesn't work as well. If I switch to Ness or Lucas, it doesn't work as well. So people often say, say you know people who main Mega Man generally unless they put effort into it can't just switch in any other character and people who don't play as Mega Man really struggle when it's time to, when they are forced to play as Mega Man so it's just kind of a case where it's like I'm gonna make this guy good and I got focused in him and now it's like oh now I'm kind of stuck playing as him if I want to do anything competitive because he's his own little world over here <laughs> yeah um what do you have to say to anybody who thinks they could take you in Smash uh, you are more than welcome to show your stuff, but like the last, I, I went super inactive for a while. And I think the last major tournament that I entered in was Hyrule Saga from two GG. And I placed top 32 in that. Like I, I was the, out of like 268, it was probably more than that you know, number of people. Um, I, people were saying uh, a story was written because Rivali, the, the voice actor who played as Rivali did just as well as the highest placing link in that tournament. Uh, I mean, that's, cool. that's, that's, that's pretty... <laughs> I know, they were like, Rivali's going toe to toe with link. No, neither one is superior. The story continues. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's some pretty intimidating stuff. I'm not going to lie, but, uh, you know, I mean, I have some credentials myself, you know, I'm, you know, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but I am actually one, the second greatest captain player in the world right now. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That probably won't transfer. Captain, Captain Falcon? No, I meant Catherine the game. Oh, Catherine. Catherine. Yeah, okay. yeah I'm, I'm the number. That probably, and you're right, that probably doesn't transfer over to Smash. But you know what? If they add my boy Vincent in this uh, I don't know. I don't pass, know. Uh, understanding blocking is very important in Catherine, just as it is in Smash Brothers. Hey, you know what? It true, may, you true. Know, it may happen. I'm just... I'm just saying, uh, but I'm sorry that you um, brung up that I thought was cool. You know, you said that you used to play Lucas and things like that. Um, did you ever, by chance, play the Earthbound games? Uh, I have not played them. Uh, we've My wife and I have watched them through streamers like Chugga Conroy or uh, Let's Players like Chugga Conroy. Um, but I have not had the chance to properly play them myself, and I still want that Mother 3 official port. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the way how things are going, we might we might get it. Uh, I hope, man. Like they just announced that. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure you saw the Nintendo uh, Direct. How do you feel about 
uh, arms being added into the Oh, rock. was that the most recent mini direct that they had? Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, I completely missed it, but I did hear about how arms is just like, hey, we're adding arms to Smash. Okay, end of video. Um, <laughs> cool. I like having more characters. I like having uh, more ways to challenge myself when I go on Wi-Fi because I never knew who, know who I'm going to face until like five seconds before the match begins. Cool, cool, cool. Who's a character that you want to see that you'll be like, this is be awesome if they can make it into Smash because Smash is really, it's Mega really Man. in the walls. Like, Mega Man. <laughs> Uh, I, they already hit X zero. Can we get zero? Uh, Zero's already assist trophy though. Um, who is someone that I'd really like to have? I'd like to have Lloyd Irving. Oh yeah, there we oh, go. And I'd that, like yeah. I'd like him to actually shout out his like double demon fang, like when he does his his specials. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's, see, that's what I was waiting for. It's, so, it's, okay. go ahead, now go ahead, Jerry. Oh, I was just gonna ask. Uh, so you mentioned Lloyd. Uh, are you a Tales fan? Oh, uh, I'm a big Tales of Symphonia fan. You know, okay. I got to, yeah. I played Tales of Symphonia back when it was on the GameCube. I had Tales of Symphonia: Dawn of the New World because I loved the creature recruitment system. I did play Vesperia for a bit on PlayStation, or not Vesperia, uh, Tales of the Abyss, um, back when that was a big thing. And then I kind of fell off the train after that. But I do appreciate the Tales series, and it it would uh, make my day, make my year if I could voice for a future one. Yeah, hey, cool. look, we do have a future Tales game coming. So. Yeah, there you go. Is that the one with like the the monster arm, or is that uh, is that one already out? No, that's uh that was Basaria. Uh, yeah, that was the that, that's the one with the uh, pirate theme and uh, velvet. The okay, uh, the girl in velvet. But we have a new one coming out. Our, uh tells of uh, arson. I think it's arson or something like that. I don't uh, remember. Uh, but I'm I'm super into the uh, tales games too. Those were like in my top four top four JRPGs. It's tales. Followed by Persona, then uh, a classic one, um, then uh, now the the Cold Steel, well the the Trail series. Those are those are now like my favorite JRPGs. All solid choices. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I do want to I, I I do want to give some some people some context here because I know we're we're focused on we focused a lot on the gamer stuff. But that's because there's so much to talk about. And like you know, the gaming business and things like that. Um, but let's swa- let's switch over to the anime side for uh, one second and things like that. And let's talk about you know your role, uh, Natsuki Subaru. You know, uh, for the ReZero series. How did that come to be? How did that come? Um, that was. I'm just so grateful for that. I mean, how it came about was really no different than a lot of the other roles that I book or auditions that I do. It was, you know, the company said, "Okay, we're going to be working on this dub. Here's the dubbing uh, client that we want to work with." The dubbing client has me on their talent roster, so they sent out audition sides for characters that they thought I might be a good fit for. I read for Subaru Natsuki. I got a callback for Subaru Natsuki, and I turned out I got cast. Um, and I knew it was going to be a super intense role. It was very timely because that same year I had actually been in Japan, uh, with a friend of mine who was buying merchandise for resale at conventions. And we, we saw ReZero, like there was advertising everywhere for ReZero while we were there. And I was familiar with the series by the time I came back. So I already knew how much the series meant to like the voice actors in the Japanese dub, uh, or recording version. I'm not sure what we call it. Japanese dub, uh, original JP. Yeah, I don't um, 
I already knew how it was for the culture, and I knew how intense the show was. I knew like what kind of screaming would be required, and it was only doubled down when the the director who was uh, holding or the the casting director was holding the callback was like, "We need you to understand this is very vocally intense. Like you, you, we need to make sure that you're aware of that, that you're going to take care of yourself, that you're not going to end up damaging your throat because you're going to be recording an awful lot." And I was like, "Yeah, I know. I'm ready. Let me show you what I can do." Um, and it really was that way because I had wanted the tone on my mic might end up disconnecting itself. I think we're good. We're probably good. Oh, yeah, we're, okay. We're good. Um, I had wanted the chance to prove myself to show what I was capable of doing for quite some time. And and this was my chance to be like, this is how much I love this medium. This is this is what I can do to like to make it work, you know? So, uh, I, I always, I knew what I was getting myself into, but I also knew that I was prepared and I was more than eager to, to go wild with it and just show what I could do as Subaru Natsuki. That's really cool because, um, uh, one of my questions was, and you answered it actually, uh, through the last question was the, was there any roles that, you know, you've ever felt, uh, you might've been like, I don't know if I can do this one or things like that. I broke down crying the first time I recorded for Rivali. And it wasn't because of excitement for the character. It was because the the type of cocky confident that I was going for was different from the angle that Nintendo of America wanted to go for. And now that I've you know seen the finished product, I understand why. But uh, because I had to scrap everything that I came in prepared with and start from square one, and this was such a big game, you know, I was panicked that not necessarily that oh I'm going to get recast. It was oh I'm scared I'm not going to be able to get give Rivali the performance that I want for him and that I know he deserves and I was talking to my mentor during one of the breaks uh, that we took and as I explained this fear as I explained my nervousness I was so overcome with with not fear but just like I was just distraught you know I cared so much about this character that I actually broke down crying and my mentor was very supportive you know he's been an incredible person he's inspired so much in me so I'm glad that I had him there to to support me and I'm glad that I had such a great director who was always in my corner no matter what but that absolutely happened that was definitely a case where I was like great I'm a sobbing mess and and it's because of this stupid bird so even (laughs) even to his own actor Rivali was a jackass Oh, uh, that, that's 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 pretty funny because I I really like see now when it comes to now this is when uh when I uh, initially contacted you when I was talking about range because Rivali is such a different type of character just in mannerisms speaking and and yeah. things like that and like it really came across that uh I felt like he was like he's a character that's not he's not like this because. He's like, oh, I'm better than you. He's like, he's earned it. And because he's earned it. That was the major difference was the cocky that I was going for was I'm trying to convince you that I'm the best or sell to you that I'm the best. But I understand now that Rivali was someone who literally sequestered himself in the mountains and didn't want anybody to see what he was doing until he had perfected it. He wasn't one of those people who was running around that's like, I made another step. I did another thing. I did this thing. He didn't want anyone to see any of it until it was 100% completed. And I respect that a lot. So that was definitely a case where he had waited until he had earned the right to be respected to showcase it and ask to be respected. And that also explains why when he went through all of this work and made sure he knew what he was doing before he showed it off for this random link person to come in and just be like, okay, he's your superior now. I completely understand why Rivali was, was so upset about that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. 
Um, so I wanted to bring up something that you touched on a, uh, a little bit ago uh, when you were talking about um, doing when you were talking about doing things for Rivali and um, Breath of the Wild. Um, so you talked about, you know, you had a, you sat down and had a conversation with your mentor. So I wanted to ask, um, not like who the person is, but um, what do you feel like is the importance of having a mentor, especially in this industry that's like so competitive and uh, kind of really hard to get into? Uh, the first part of that question was the importance of a mentor or yeah. Like, 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 how do you feel the, um, oh, let me re- reset that question. I'm sorry. So how do you feel, what do you feel is like the importance of having a mentor in such a competitive industry, uh, such as this? So I don't want to give it like all the importance. I don't want to say like, if you don't have a mentor, you're not going to find success in this industry. I don't think it's the concept of having a mentor that provides success, but the, I look at what was it about me that led to me having a mentor that can be applied outside of having a mentor that can help people be successful. And I know that the reason why I got picked up was because when I decided I wanted to be a part of voiceover, it was a passionate very passionate decision. I was posting on Newgrounds forums. I was talking about, you know, here's the recording stuff I'm going to use. Here's the skits that I've been doing. It was just this big ball of of passionate fire, just roaring, just burning. And the only problem was it was burning really hot, but it wasn't being focused. It wasn't being tempered towards anything. And my mentor came across me on the boards and and my mentor was someone who was already an established actor but had really they they personally were more interested in doing the directing side of things of like helping other talent blossom and and he saw this passion that I was exhibiting and he said to himself I want to take a chance on this kid I want to see you know what he can do I want to show him the ropes I want to help him out I want to see if I can help him take this fire and put it towards something that he's really interested in Um, so I, I want to redirect it and say, it wasn't the fact that I had a mentor that helped me succeed. It was the fact that I had genuine enthusiasm and passion that helped connect me to people who were able to help me grow as an actor. And that doesn't just have to be a mentor that can be connecting me to a colleague who's like, Hey, come take this workshop with me or connecting me to someone who's like, Hey, I know a guy who's working on demos. You know, he charges this much, you know, he might be willing to do it a little cheaper for you or, Hey, here's an audio engineer who is willing to help me understand. Here's what a good setup might be that works with your budget. It's all about this. This is where the industry connections come in. When people talk about, the network connections that are so integral to this industry. A lot of people think, oh, it's about knowing the right people who are going to get me jobs. It's not. It's about interacting with and developing relationships with people who either have similar knowledge in your field and so you are able to share the folks that you know with each other or their expertise or what they know extends into branches that you personally are not experienced in. And you can utilize... um, And I say utilize, not exploit, but utilize the info that they have while sharing the info that you have so that you both can mutually benefit. 
Um, for example, it could be, you know, if I know a sound engineer person, they can help me set up a better home studio. And in return, you know, I'm obviously gonna, if there's people who are looking for advice, who are wanting to pay a consultation fee, um, I can direct them to this sound engineer. Or if there's a studio that I can pitch this person to and say, Hey, this guy knows his way around audio equipment. You know, you might want to consider reaching out to him. That's where that connection stuff happens. It's not about, Oh, I happen to know person a, so they're going to talk to the higher ups at this studio and get me on their talent roster that is part of it you know if if you know i'm trying to get onto the talent roster of you know bang zoom and bang zoom happens to have a talent that they work with and they go hey do you know this chiplock kid and the talent goes oh yeah yeah i've worked with him on these other past projects he's a really cool person that'll certainly help but it's not a matter of going up and saying hey person a please bring me up to bang zoom and get them to put me on their talent roster. It's very important to make that distinction. So that's how it dials back to the, to the mentor question. Having a mentor is not the be all end all having the qualities of someone that a mentor would want to teach is what will lead you to be successful because that learning mentality, that open mindedness will work for you under a mentorship. It'll work in a workshop situation. It'll work on your professional side, if you're a freelance talent and you're working with clients through email, being able to couple that professionalism with that passion is the foundation that will help lead to success, not just by having a mentor. Yeah, I think wow. that I think that's really cool because you said it yourself. Uh, so many people are under the misunderstanding that a mentor has to be someone that's probably older or wiser or you know just somebody like you know what I mean there's. A mentor can be anybody. Uh, I know personally for me, I, I do stand-up comedy, and uh, my mentor, I guess in a sense, would probably be uh, my closest friend because we go over my material together. So it's just very important how you how you pointed out the fact that it could be anybody. It could be a colleague. It could be a friend. It could be even be a parent. Uh, that those things are very important. And to hear you say something like that, and it really puts things in perspective that, listen, like, there being humble is so important and think uh, a mentor can come from any from anywhere in your life it could be someone you meet or somebody like you know what this, this person is really cool and you know what? i believe in him and it's really important having that belief factor on you uh you pointed out and you pointed out when you was talking about Rivali how you yourself was you broke down and things like that because you uh you wanted to give this character the proper respect and bring it to light especially Breath of the Wild being the first uh Zelda game that actually has an English dub or has a, a English or speaking in it at all so it's a very big responsibility to uh because these characters are going to be critiqued no matter rather good or bad um, but it's very important how to have that person in there to believe in you in case sometimes you might falter on yourself. So I just think that's a really cool thing to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I do not think I would have uh, had the bounce back with Rivali that I had if it had not been for the supportiveness of Jamie Mortolaro, the the casting director and the director for the recording sessions, who is just so... He, he also voices Sidon in the game, and I do not exaggerate when I say that man is Sidon. There was no acting required on his part. He is endlessly supportive. He, he looks for the best in everyone, um, and he's really good at what he does, and he is a big part of why I was able to get out of my head um, and, and refocus my efforts and take a second stab at Rivali that apparently, to my knowledge, ended up going really well with, with English audiences once the game came out. Yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome. I think there's a lot of people that uh, can really benefit from that, uh, from that answer. So, yeah, definitely thanks, thanks for that. Um, 
So I wanted to go back into anime. Uh, one of the voices that you're currently doing, or one of the roles that you currently have, and sorry if my mic cuts out a little bit while I'm talking, is uh, Miss Mista in Jojo Golden Wind. Um, so this one I thought was kind of interesting because the reason why I got really into Jojo was because I wanted to see what all the memes were about, because this is one of the like most like weirdest. And I feel like one of the most memed like anime series in the fandom right now. Um, so what's your take on the show? I mean, I, first of all, let me say like, uh, hearing you as Mista, like is some really, really sick acting. Like, <laughs> thank like, you. Like, we just incredible. had the, the, the famous episode last Saturday with, uh, the, the healing scene that everyone talks about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it, it's incredible. Like, um, I did watch all through the dub, but, um, I was checking out some clips earlier and I was like, Okay, I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch, you know, these dub episodes. Uh, this is just insane. Um, so, what's it like being in such like a strange anime such as JoJo? Like, were you a fan of it before you were in it, or did you? Know I was much aware about of it? it. You know, I I had friends that were crazy about it, and they would talk to me about. I would I would indirectly be exposed to all the memes and the references and the big scenes and stuff like that. But I hadn't had a chance to actually watch the show or read the manga. Of course, I did watch Golden Wind uh, when I got cast for Mista, so that I could understand what I was getting myself into. And that's when I realized that JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is ADHD the anime. Like. <laughs> I have I have rarely experienced a show where the plot paces itself in such a crazy way and the conversations themselves are so out there at times but it's clear that the creators just like let's have fun with this you know let's let's make these men machismo and let's ha you know have them constantly ragging on each other i really enjoy the atmosphere of that i know that some people will be like this is too overwhelming i can't take all this going at once but for someone like me who can be very spastic at times i really like how off the wall that show can be at times and i have a feeling when i go back and watch the other uh, arcs that it's going to be just as enjoyable yeah Cool, cool, cool. Well, talking about uh, memes and things like that, I read something, and you can put some uh, context clarity towards it, uh, but it seems like you was part of the Persona 4 uh, Hymns Daisy comic dub? Yes, that is a blast from the past. I did oh. voice the protagonist. I mean, I, I guess you can say I voiced him, but I more of, hmm, dim. Yeah, yeah. Well, can you tell? Can you tell us that because I, I, yeah, that I love that. Uh, who wants to talk? Who wants to talk about murders? You know, you kids should really stop murders with this stuff. Uh, but I love that. Like, I love that whole like that comic. And I was at the point where they was releasing like, like three minute episodes, like three little snippets and here and there. And then now, I mean, you can watch the whole thing in this clarity, and that was in color and everything like that. But what was that experience like? Just. I just it's I look forward to it. You know, it's it's uh, or rather um, I <laughs> when I say I look forward to it, I mean that every so often, like once in a in a long time, I will go back to the video and there will be someone who managed to leave a comment within a year of the last time I checked it. And it's just interesting seeing that there's uh, maybe I lost track. Are we talking about the comic dub or are we talking about the upcoming game? The, the dub, the comic. Dub. Oh, OK, OK. So for for the the the, the him Daisy comic dubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Like, my train of thought was, for some reason, I was thinking about, like, Persona 5 and Persona 5 Royal. I was like, wait, was that the question he asked? Um, 
so yeah, it was it was really enjoyable. That was back during a time when uh, uh, Sapphire, as we knew her online, was doing all sorts of things. She was doing fan dubs of anime. She was doing comic dubs. Uh, since we talked about Tales of the Abyss, you know, there was the whole parody clip series that she was doing with Tales of the Abyss um, anime episodes or anime clips. Um, and th that was one of those network connections. You know, that was back during a time where there was a lot of people on the voice acting club that knew each other. And so she used a lot of the same talent. Of course, she had her, her groups of performance friends that she would use in a lot of her clips. So I'm, I'm very glad that I was able to take part in uh, the Him Daisy comic dub. I think it meant a lot to other people than it did to me just because I wasn't as big of a Persona fan uh, at the time. Um, yeah. Or wasn't as knowledgeable about Persona. But I'm very glad that I was able to be a part of something that, for all intents and purposes, went a little viral on the internet. And I'm glad that the creator of the comic uh, gave it their support. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was such a big fan of, of that whole. It was just like a really good time. I remember my childhood. I just remember sitting down, watching, and I'd be like, "This is, ah, oh, glad. I'm glad I do comedy for <laughs> like." So it was uh, really, really cool on that. Um, something else I want to ask, uh, being that you know you brought it up yourself a little, um, Persona Five Royal, you know, is coming out the thirty first. Uh, some people got it early. I don't know how. I know how, but I don't want to say how. But some people got it early. Um, what was it like uh, coming back for that? And do you think that maybe one day that Persona Five animation might get a dub towards it? I, I mean. I don't want to speculate because since I'm directly involved with the the project, I assume with how many spinoffs that they've been doing, you know, between uh, did they announce is that that Persona Five kind of like Mugen game coming over here, the one that's kind of like Dynasty Warriors? Yeah, uh, Scramble, Scramble, Scramble. Persona yeah, yeah. So, so with Scramble coming over and the fact that they already had Dancing Star Night and Dancing Moon Night. I would not. I would be more surprised if they didn't dub the Persona Five anime, especially because they did it for Persona Four. Um, but I don't want to speculate any further than that because, you know, I I I don't know. I know as much as everyone else does, and it's hard for us to answer questions like that because uh, sometimes things that we think we know are public are not actually public, and things that you know, we just speculate may actually turn out to be true. And then people are like, oh, they had insider knowledge and we can get in trouble for stuff like, oh, we didn't know. We were just guessing. So right, right, right. I, I hope they bring it, but I wouldn't know anything beyond that. And I don't want to risk getting in trouble by saying I think they'll bring it over. It's just, yeah. Yeah, no, nah, it's, it's cool. It's cool. I remember a very funny uh, a tweet. I think I read it. was Maybe it was a message that uh, very, very, very long ago, back when Bleach had just ended, uh, somebody had asked, uh, I forgot who was one of the actors, but they was like, yeah, they're going to bring, yeah, they're going to dub the, the Thousand Year Blood Arc. And then nothing happened. And now, all these years later, over 10 years later, uh, he he commented back on the original post. He was like, yeah, see, it came back just like I told y'all. And I was like, yes, like, I, I just think that's like. I always, I never doubted it. Oh, my God. Thank God. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Um. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, it, it's cool. It's very cool, and I, I hope so. Persona's really taken a, a life on its own. I think something I would personally want to see, if I can see an anime format of it, is the Trials of Cold Steel. That's what I personally want to see, especially seeing how we had a Trials in the Sky uh, movie that covered basically the first the uh, original games on a, a PSP. Um, I would love to see a, a film for Trials of Cold Steel, just being that that world is so big and it's 
it's it's long. It, it definitely has it the is. story. Maybe maybe that'll be the demon gaze experience for a lot of people, where they finally finish the the series and they're like, "That was an experience. That was a game. I need to move on to something else." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 definitely is that's definitely what it is for me because I like I fell in love with that game so much. Um, and largely was a big part of you. Um, I love uh, the fact you being Rain Shorts. It was really cool. But it, it was so cool for me that I had to stop playing the uh, Trials of Cool Steel. And I had to go back and play Trials in the Sky. And then I put so much time and effort in that. Uh, the second one got released. And then around the same time, they brought uh, the third one over here in English on Steam. So I was like, oh, well, now I got to. So now I got to play that. So I had I've been swamped with going back in time to find the original characters because now they're showing up in the newer games. Right. Yeah. So that's definitely um, was an experience for me uh, personally. Um, so I got to thank you for that and things like that. Before we get into the, like the I guess the juicy trials of cool steals uh, questions. I know Jeremy has something he wants to ask. Uh, yeah. So just real quick, I kind of wanted to go back uh, a little bit. Uh, jumping topics back to uh so you mentioned you did this uh voiceover competition at uh anime expo a good while back um i was just kind of curious of what that experience was like so you know what was your entry how did you prepare for it um uh, or well, decide like what you wanted that, to do that also ended up being my first time ever attending an anime convention of any kind so wow this that was a real that was a real case of you know trying to learn how to swim so you throw yourself into the deep ocean Are you sure you're um, an introvert <laughs> you know i tell people i've got i've got a social candle and i can burn that candle as roughly or as calmly as i want but once that candle is gone i am i checked out for the day like you can yeah. interact with me and the most you get is mm-hmm yep all right whatever like <laughs> so i'm i'm an introvert who's able to act really well um so when I learned about the competition, you know, this was when I had been involved because I, I started getting involved with voiceover in 2007. The competition was in 2009 that I entered. And I remember I was on a ski trip with my family and I told my dad, Dad, this is all I want for my birthday. I would like some help with funding flying out to California to go to this convention um, to one to meet some of the people that I've been interacting with, but also to compete in this voice acting competition. And my dad was like, is that really what you want to do? And I said, yes, it's absolutely what I want to focus on. He said, okay, I'm going to help you get there. Um, and it was, that was, that was my focus was, that was my first time being in California. I wanted to do this voiceover thing. I wanted to see if I could do stuff for anime. Um, and it, my entry, I did, uh, the revelation monologue when Kira is, uh, when light Yagami is finally caught in death note and he kind of maniacally mm. laughs wow. and then he kind of reveals himself and talks about how necessary it was. Yeah. Um, and he, and he breaks down and that was the one I want to do. Cause I thought, okay, that's a nice mix of, we start off strong with the maniacal laugh. We have the moment where, you know, there's elements where he's both pleading his case externally and he's also convincing himself internally. And I thought that'd be a really good way to just have hills and valleys instead of just having the same thing throughout the entire paragraph. Mm. Uh, and, and it worked out, you know, I got, I got moved on to the final round and the final round, which, uh, the video for this, it, actually the video for both my audition and the final round, are on YouTube. Uh, but the final round, I ended up getting handed a scene from Rurouni Kenshin. And it's when Rurouni Kenshin is uh, uh, challenging uh, Shishio, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, uh, yeah, Makoto Shishio, yes. 
So when he's challenging Makoto Shishio and he's talking about, you know, how could you do this to the people of this town? And then he charges forward and he does one of his attack shouts. And I was like, this is what I've been living for. Tales of Symphonia, indignation, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, uh, so, or Tales of the Abyss, indignation. I think Genus also learns indignation. Anyway, yeah. so, so that, was, that was like, this is my element. So I went all out for it. You know, I, I, I had as much fun with it as I would in the booth. And it showed, you know, the crowd was super responsive. The judges were blown away by the crowd response. Tony Oliver said, you know, you're doing something right when you get a response like that. And he was right. You know, like that was that moment of validation for me. So it was totally a whirlwind. Like, I, I think I experienced less of that convention than I did outside uh, 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 completely centered around the voice acting competition because that was my entire focus once I was there. Day one was chill. Day two was the auditions and that's all I could think about was the auditions. And then when I got the callback for day three, day three was the finals and all I could think about was the finals. And then day four, the con was ending and everyone was going home. So it was it was over as soon as it began. But the part that was most important to me happened in full and I got exactly out of it what I was hoping to get and then a little bit more. That's, that's awesome. Great. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that that was your first convention experience. So one of the things that I get really that I get really interested in is um, hearing what other people's first con experiences are like. Because uh, I remember mine. This was actually in 2014 at uh, Colossal Con in Ohio, and like I just felt like a surge of like overwhelming like like just love for like everything. Like it was just. Like I just see like a river of cosplayers and like just people that like all love the same thing that you love. And it kind of felt like a second home to me. Um, So like what, so, you know, just hearing about how immersed you were and like that, just being at that con and uh, being in the competition, I think is really cool. Um, A quick uh, follow up on conventions and stuff. Um, So your first one, you know, you did the voice acting competition and you were fully immersed in that. But uh, aside from that, um, you know, as going to conventions as a fan, uh, do you remember what your first uh, dealer room purchase was? Oh, I don't. There's no way. <laughs> I, it was probably one of those buy five buttons for like three bucks or something like that. Because <laughs> when I first started going to cons, I had like the laptop bag. I was decorating the front of it. I wanted to decorate my hoodie with buttons. I was a total, total weeb. So probably yeah. the first purchase ended up either being a, a, a print shirt or probably a set of buttons. Uh, nowadays, I, t- I tend to go more for art books or prints from yeah. artists that I want to support. Um, a lot of times I'll actually like say, I don't have room on my wall, but I want to pay you anyway. So take this money and like next time someone asks for this print, just give it to them and tell them it was paid forward. You know, that's what I, I, now that I'm in a position where I'm able to afford a lot more on a whim than a lot of people my age, I try to, to turn that around and build up that good karma by providing for people who may not be able to provide for themselves, at least when it comes to personal interest stuff. Like everyone's got to pay for food. Everyone's got to pay their rent, but not a lot of people can do that. And also enable themselves to treat themselves with convention merchandise and if i can let them have that little bit of pleasure for themselves that that's where i get my happiness yeah that's really cool i like that answer (laughs) that's an awesome that's an also humble thing to say i think uh i think a lot of people with a lot of people are going to take away from this is that man sean's really cool like um like he's always was cool in these games but man he's really he's awesome like uh, we got now. In fact, we, now we got to tell everybody. Listen, if anybody's listening to this right now, you, everybody, you have to go 
and subscribe over to Sean's. Listen, y'all gotta subscribe to his if, Twitch if channel. If you want to support me, I'm gonna try and do my first Twitch stream tonight at twitch.tv slash sonicmega, and that's the first time I've had a link to give people besides my Twitter. So, I can't guarantee it'll be great, but it'll definitely be interesting. We're gonna hey. play some Animal Crossing, maybe some Smash Brothers. I'd love if you'd tune in. So, I, I'm actually gonna go and try and set that up right after I'm done with this, uh, this interview, so... Yeah, make sure everybody you guys listen. That's uh, twitch.tv slash sonicmega. Um, check them out. Check them out. We're gonna be in there. We're gonna hang out with them. It's gonna be great. Meet the, you know, what I mean, skip the skip the con lines. Go straight to the actor. He's gonna be there. Who doesn't like Animal Crossing right now? I love Animal Crossing right now. I think everybody's playing it. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking I'm looking uh super forward to it. Uh, sign I want to bring up. I have a couple more questions, and then I know uh Jeremy. I know Jeremy has his, and then we have our fan questions, and we'll wrap this baby up. But something I wanted to ask and things like that. Um, I'm a big fan of uh your pewter. From uh, the AI to Solomon Files. Ah, I, I yes, love, he's a good egg. Yes, I, I love uh, me and my me and my wife. We played through that game together. That's actually one of our favorite titles uh, that came out recently. I remember it came out during like last holiday of like Black Friday. I was like, man, what is this? And I bought it, and I was like, this was the best decision I've made in a very, very long time. And then like I remember she was able to point out. She was like, hey, is that um is that the guy from Nine Nine Nine? I'm like. Which one is? It's a couple of them in there, and she was able to point you out before I was, and I was like, "Oh man!" Like, look at the, look at the impression you made on all of us and things like that. Do you have see, any characters? See when that, that you- when that happens, I'm not sure whether to feel great because it's like, "Oh, someone recognized me and like my work," or to feel bad because, "Oh, someone recognized my voice. I didn't make it different enough." Nah, I think it's a, <laughs> I think it's an awesome feeling because like. If you compare side by side, there's such different characters. There's such different mannerisms and things like that. Another character that uh, you know people uh, tend to forget is that you're Noob Cybot in uh, Mortal Kombat MK11. All right, you're you're the most OP character in that game, in my opinion. I've I've been I've been to tournaments. Uh, it's it's a lot of. It's a lot of cyber oh, players dude, out there. One of the hypest tournaments I ever attended wasn't even a Smash tournament. Uh, at a convention that I was a guest at, I was at like one of those 9 p.m. Mortal Kombat 11 tournaments. And I was like, what, what's, what's the prize pot? And they were like, it's something like $100. I said, nah, I'm going to put $250 in to whoever, or I'll put in another $100 if someone, uh, to whoever, I'm trying to think of what it was. Um, oh, I'm going to add another $100 to whoever wins the tournament. But if they win the tournament using Noob Cybot the entire time, only Noob Cybot, I'll make it $250 instead. And someone did. His main wasn't even Noob Cybot, but he went Noob Cybot for the tournament, and he won it. So he got that money. That's oh, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really that's, cool. That's crazy. How was it, like, how was it uh, voicing Noob Cybot? I guess it's really... Uh, I guess this goes into like the directing of like, hey, listen, all right, so we're gonna saw you in half, okay? Right. So, well, you know, he was good. definitely one of the most physically challenging roles because, in order to do his voice, I push my voice all the way down, like deep in my throat, and I vibrate my vocal cords to create like the demonic rumble. Um, but of course, that involves constricting your throat a lot, so that you have a lot of the uh, friction of the vocal cords rubbing against each other. Uh, so it's very closed, it's very constricted. But Mortal Kombat is a game where people get cut in half. They scream in agony, they shout out attacks. So when I have to talk like this, but shout at the same time, to be able to do that without 
losing the character's uh, demonic grumble without like losing, uh, making it too breathy in the process, it's very difficult and it's very rough on the throat. So there was, I would chug like six bottles of water during a single two hour session for those recording sessions. Oh man, uh, th- I I always think of a fun funny question. A fun question is, uh, what was the most strangest direction you was given by a director when acting? For me, I know I remember I was doing something. It was a little small. Um, I think it was when he says when he licks me there, he's licking your butthole. That's that's the direction I was given. Um, <laughs> uh, and that was supposed I, to inspire my character <laughs> responding. What? You gotta put some more clarity on that. Like, uh, no. I think it was it was like for Dong and Rampa V three or something like that. Because I, I was playing as Monotaro and talking about oh when you lick me there it makes me feel all funny. And they're like pretend he's <laughs> licking your butthole. And I was like okay we'll do that. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's funny. That's funny. Uh, so, you know, you've done a lot of uh, video games, uh, animes, and you've also done some commercials as well. Um, I'm kind of wondering, is there like any fundamental difference on the approach to like how the directing goes versus uh, doing video games in anime to like uh, commercials and uh, different things like that, promote promos and things? Uh, anime is a lot stricter because you are you're restricted to the lip flaps on screen unless the character is talking off screen or something like that. Uh, it can be... <sighs> It's a give and take because with anime often is easier to get the emotional context of the scene because you're seeing it right in front of you. You're seeing what's happening. You can play along with it. Whereas in video games, often what we just have is a stack of lines. You know, we can see the lines of other characters talking around us, but we don't really know visually what it's going to look like. So we have to rely on the director a lot more. So often the you know direct this is this is way overgeneralizing it and i'm gonna i'm gonna say this is not you know for every single case but generally in anime you know the director will be there to like help do on the spot script changes if something's not lining up correctly um or they'll let you know if it needs to be a little bit shorter or a little bit faster a lot of it is technical stuff because it's it's a lot easier for us to glean the emotional part of the acting uh with anime with video games you'll often hear a lot more um uh, anal- in my case, analogic descriptive uh, uh, direction, where it's like, okay, so here's what's happening in this scene. Here's the way your character's responding. You know, this is what happened in this other scene that this character did. Um, they help paint the scene for us because it's not immediately available in front of us. And we use those context clues to help direct ourselves into. Basically, you know, if the line is, I can't believe you do this, you know, you could say that very angrily. You could say that in excitement, like, I can't believe you give me something this cool. You could do it out of sadness. Um, so we, because it could be read one of 500 different ways, having that, that those context clues given to us helps it narrow it down to, oh, okay, they're saying it out of pure rage because of something that just happened. And that, that helps narrow it down to, here's the way that we would read it if it was in this context. So anime tends to be a lot more restrictive in terms of timing, but uh, a lot more, uh, a lot easier in terms of understanding the context. Whereas video games can be much less restrictive unless they're forcing you to time it to the Japanese. But in return, they also, uh, it takes a lot more creativity on the part of the actor and a lot more guidance on the part of the director to make sure everyone's on the same page. Awesome. Cool. That's great. That's great. Um, so I, I, I do want to go into uh, literally the, the biggest thing I've been I've been holding myself back this whole time. But now I, I have to release it. I have to release this urge. Uh, 
obviously, uh, Reen Shores, it was a very big uh, character for you that that you did and everything like that. And what I want to know is that personally, what did that character? Was you a fan of the uh, the Trials uh, series before you Trails the Trails series before you got uh, involved? I made sure that I was ready for the first game in Cold Steel by the time I played it. I was aware of Trails in the Sky, and I watched a full playthrough of Cold Steel One before I went in to record. There's actually a couple funny stories online. One of them by the localization director about how when I came in and she started explaining to me about the game and the and the world and the the major events, I was the one asking her questions about stuff that didn't even happen until like the second or third game so it, we were we were ready to go you know start running as soon as we hit the ground on that and then similarly before i ever went in to record for cold steel 2 by then cold steel 1 had come out and i played it and beat it completely on on vita um before i went in to record for 2 so while i was new to the series going in to record for it i was still familiar with the game that i was recording for and i continued that tradition before i went in for each subsequent game in the cold steel arc um, I made sure that I was ready and I under I was able to pick up right where I left off. That's great. Uh, I guess my last my my last uh, follow up to that, and this is something I've always wanted to know as just someone that does voice acting myself, but I've only done small small bits. But I love everything that I do. Um, does being in a in a role as the main as the main lead and things like that at all does that ruin the story for you? Because uh, in a sense, you're knowing about the the ending. You're knowing about the the final climax before the game is even uh, brung out. So you are you're already aware of what's going to go on. Does that ruin the story for you at all as a not, personal not gamer? Really, not really, because a lot of the times, it, both on the professional side, I'm interested in hearing how everyone sounds when everything's put together. I often only get to listen to my own voice when I'm performing. Um, also because like I said, there's times when there are sometimes when I get to see, you know, what others are saying around my character during a scene, but we're also jumping from scene to scene. My character's not going to be, even if he's a main character, not every conversation is going to include him, um, or every major offside thing is going to include him. So there's still going to be bits and pieces that I'm not aware of, and I have to have the info filled in for me. And I'm still going to want to see what it actually looks like in the game. It's one thing to just see the lines. I want to see the characters delivering them. I want to see the, the visuals surrounding that. I'm a very visual person, a visual learner even. Um, so just between those and the fact that I get, as soon as I'm done recording for that, I'm off doing other things and I'll probably forget most of what happened when I was recording for it. By the time the game comes out, it's still a brand new experience for me. And I don't think there's ever been a case where recording for something has caused me to lose interest in wanting to play it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, no. Uh, did you have another? Question? Nah, nah. Okay. I, 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 you, you can go ahead. Okay. Um. So my uh, final question for you, um, Sean, is so uh, you know, after a long day of work, you know, and dealing with all kinds of different stuff, you know, you just come home, you want to unwind, you want to chill. Uh, what's your go-to chill game? My go-to chill game. Uh. Well, like I said, you know, it's whatever I'm addicted to at the time. Right now, it's yeah. going to be Animal Crossing. Before then, it was Dragon Quest XI. I, I wish I could give a different answer to that, but that's that's really how it is. You know, yeah. once Animal Crossing slows down, either I'll go back to Mystery Dungeon DX or Crystal Chronicles will be out by then. Uh, but that's the that's the big thing. I think I've played Animal Crossing for between 10 and 12 hours a day for the last six days in a row. Nice. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's cool. I haven't got a chance to get into Animal Crossing yet. Um, I haven't I just got to work up the nerve to like pay the $60 for it. Um, but I will at some point. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you, well, guess what? You can watch tonight because guess what's going to happen yeah, as soon as we're sure. done. Like, you're going to get a preview 
of these 10 hours, you know, you, you know, Chung hopefully, got those- hopefully there's people I'm reaching out to, to like, hopefully get, get some help with setting up the remaining pieces that I'm brand new to. And they haven't responded yet. I'm not saying it's their fault if I can't stream, but it, I may struggle a bit if I don't have some technical expertise to help me out. Okay. Hey, I, well. I got, I might have some, I might have a little wisdom. I can drop down on you a little about twitching because I've been doing it for a nice bit of time. Uh, but I have to ask this, and this is and this is this is where it all comes back to. But I have to ask every actor we ask uh, for people who are aspiring and want to get into voice acting and things like that. What is the greatest bit of advice you can give them? Um, the the greatest thing I can say is don't lose sight of that passion. You know, uh, one of the first piece of advice that you'll hear from a lot of working professionals is if you would rather be doing anything else besides voiceover, just go and do that instead because voiceover is so thankless in regards to how much work you do that isn't paid or, or doesn't return on any investment. The number of auditions I do versus the number of jobs I actually book is a scary, scary ratio. It's, it's a huge graveyard of roles I didn't get versus the ones that I was lucky enough to be cast for. Um, and what keeps me going is my excitement for it. The fact that, you know, I think about five years after I moved out to California is when I managed to be a part of Breath of the Wild. And when I first moved out to California, it didn't even occur to me that there might be a chance for me to be in a voiced Zelda game in the future. It wasn't even a consideration at that point in time. So what could happen in five years from now? What could happen in 10 years from now? Um, so it's it's that excitement, that eagerness to see what's yet to come down the pipeline is what keeps me invested. And that's before anything involving you know, the commitment, the the financial investment, the stress of, of deadlines and stress of like networking, especially if you're an introvert like I am. Uh, if nothing else, you have to have the mentality to want to learn and want to practice even when nobody else around you is telling you to. Because if you're not willing to apply yourself of your own free will, then I think you're going to really struggle to deal with with having applying yourself when others are expecting things of you because if you're not personally interested it's going to be a lot harder for you to make that effort so be serious with yourself and ask yourself is this something that i am i am ready and willing to get in, uh, invested in long term on multiple facets whether it's financial mental spiritual physical um and if your answer is yes if however daunting that sounds it doesn't keep you from wanting to get involved then i would say Jump onto the voice acting club forums, you know, st- go to I want to be a voice actor.com, start work- networking with other people who are interested in voiceover and, and see where you can go from there because it's just as much about practice, practice, practice and, and research, research, research as it is about performing. And as long as your passion is there, the same way that it helps me find a mentor, I think you will find that having passion and enthusiasm will assist you in being directed where you need to be in order to grow as an actor. Wow. Yeah, that I think that yeah, that's a really incredible answer. Um, so Sean, I think that was it for all of our questions. Um, but I do want to say, uh, you mentioned uh having that passion quite a bit today, and I think that's a really cool thing. Uh, because you know, as you know, we're asking you questions and doing this interview, I think a lot of people are going to be able to tell the passion that you have and the passion that that you bring to the table with the things that you do. Uh, in your career, I think, and like, it definitely shines through. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to definitely benefit from, from hearing that as well as hearing the, you know, the wisdom that, that, that you had to drop. So I want to thank you, um, for, you know, just letting us have this opportunity and, uh, just giving us a bit of your time to drop some of that knowledge. 
Thank you very much for having me. It's it's always stressful when I do these interviews because I'm like, I hope I can give interesting answers. I hope I can, you know, not repeat the same thing I've said in past interviews. And I really like that you guys had the follow-up questions based on info I, I gave in original answers. Um, you guys really know what you're doing, and I'm glad that I could be a part of this. So thank you for being flexible with me. No, thank. Like I said, thank you. I, I say this to everyone. Um, in a sense, this is a this has been a dream. This this is a fantasy situation for yeah. us. Uh, you know, this is a fantasy situation for the both of us and things like that. Because you know, you play these games, you watch these shows and things like that. And I've been to a couple of conventions and things like that. And I've always and I've always was scared by those lines. I'm like, man, three hours and the food court closes at what time? Uh, I'm gonna have to take <laughs> make a decision today. Um, but just the fact that people can, you know, I. It, this is this is incredible in a sense and like i said i can only thank you uh so much um i guess before we leave we got to ask you how was the fun meter okay you gave us these you gave us this ritual but then was we able was we able to stay past the five or you're gonna make it for another day Sean? i, need I to know. give it a 5.2 no i'm just kidding <laughs> it definitely passed with flying colors oh man that's great that's good to hear there was a little bit too much water i'd reduce some of the water for next time but you know, it's important. I can't I can't dig on you too much for, for there being so much water. <laughs> Was that a Pokemon reference? Hey look, okay. If, <laughs> I can't I think I, I think swim. I think if you brush up on your noob cybot, maybe we'll be able to bump it up a full point next time. Yep, I hey. definitely will do that. Hey look, he's gonna do it. Okay. I'm next time if next time we speak, okay. In fact, I'm going to help him, okay? I'm going to be your mentor, Jeremy. I'm going to get you to that promised land. And, and the next look, at that. Game, look at that passion. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. We're all going to be the next game, all right? We're going to be in Breath of the West, and we're going to be all main <laughs> characters, okay? It's something we're going to do Breath together. Cold Steel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There'll be more games. I want to thank everybody for listening to us. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And, of course, stay healthy. Stay clean and wash your hands. Stay away from me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Smash, apparently. Stay away from him. I don't I don't want no one having their feelings hurt.